Welcome to the Retire While You Work podcast here in Nashville, Tennessee. We believe the concept of retirement in this country is fundamentally broken. We work ourselves to death and we miss out on so many of life's precious moments. I'm David Adams. I'm Carson Odom. I'm Miles Zuger. And together, as a team of certified financial planner professionals and CPAs, we're committed to helping free others from this antiquated mindset, using our three-bucket approach to managing money and finding creative ways to live now and retire while you work. Join us as we discuss a variety of financial topics and ways to help us change the way we think about time and money and which one of these is the true currency. Okay, everybody should be should be loaded in now. So we wanted to we'll go ahead and get started here. Um, Carson and I joining me here also. So a couple of weeks ago we had we hosted Mike Gibbs, technical strategist with Raymond James at Richland Country Club here in town, and uh, he presented to our our clients and friends and had a lot of great information that he presented on. And so what we wanted to do was we had a copy of his slides, so we just wanted to run through these and give you his thoughts that he's him and his team are seeing as they head into the end of 2022 and into 2023 and uh, what they're thinking, where they th think things are going to be at. And like I said, just wanted to make this information available to all of our friends and clients as well who were not able to attend that day. So I hope everybody's doing well this morning and uh, just an early happy holidays to everybody that's on the call this morning. So Carson, do you have any thoughts there, Alpha? Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll kick things off, and it, it does get uh, a little on the technical side. This is coming from his technical analysis department, and uh, the slides can be a little bit heavy, but I think Miles and I would do our best to explain it, um, simplify things, and relate it back to the big picture going into next year. So uh, let's see, I'm going to get my screen shared, and we will get things started. First slide, really just talking about big picture. So this is a chart dating back to the 1950s. This is of the S&P 500. Um, the blue is just the overall price of the S&P 500. The light blue is earnings per share. And biggest thing to note here is we can all see, and we've all heard it said that the, the trend line here is up. Long-term, over time, the trend line is up. There's a couple of smaller charts on the right side of the screen. and just want to bring it to attention that the winners outweigh the losers when it comes to the stock market performance over a given year. So in the top right, it's recessionary bear markets and the data behind it. So there's um, it lists out the market top to the market bottom. How long does it take for that to occur? And then also, uh, what's the total decline of that bear market? So this year, for example, I think the S&P 500 peaked around January 3rd or 4th of this year, and it's hasn't recovered since it's been in uh, it's been in a decline ever since and we're so we are sitting at about 11 12 months of this bear market and a bear market is just a drop over 20% in the index and we're down from peak to trough um, i think it was about 25% in the S&P 500 the dow was a little bit less and the nasdaq i think was closer to about 35% and right now i think the S&P 500 sits down year to date or from its highs at about 20% the nasdaq's currently around 30 and I think the Russell 2000 is around 23. So 
all in all, it's it's still down in the bear market. The next or the next bull market begins uh, once we've recovered out of this bear market low. So, and the bottom right corner is a list of bull markets and the total price change from the the trough up until whenever it peaks again and how long does that last and. The thing to note is just the drastic difference, almost like clockwork looking historically. Um, three out of four years, the market's up. One out of four years, the market's down. 2019, 2020, 2021, the market was up. This year, the market is down. So we're we're it's almost consistent with historical averages with the market for this year to be down. Got fun to be down. But the thing to note is on average, a bull market is up overall 152% and lasts 1,173 trading days, which is over three years. And the average bear market that also is coming during a recessionary period is down roughly 33% and on average lasts for about 13 months. So relating this year back to averages, we're down roughly 25% and we've been in this for 11 months. This isn't predicting the future, but in the grand scheme of things, this bear market hasn't lasted as long as the average bear market and it hasn't been, uh, and it hasn't decreased as much as the average bear market has been down. And I think for all of us, um, we're all anticipating, okay, when is that bottom hit and when can we look forward to the next bull market beginning? And I think if any of us knew the answer to that question, we wouldn't be doing this and we'd be doing something a whole lot more important than what we're doing now. But um, at, at the top, there's a line that I think rings true is avoiding the down moves. It's much less, is much less important than participating in the up moves. So in essence, if a majority of the time the market's going up, it's more important to be involved when the market's going up. Um, and there's no there's no timing this. It's any it's a you know the market makes fools out of even the smartest people every single day. Um, so there's no there's no sense in timing this. Um, but overall, again, trend line of the market going up over the long term. Yeah, just kind of stick sticking with that theme. When you look at the, the normalized potential value of the S&P 500 out 10 years, looking back to 1985 and then and then forward 10 years. I think that what this chart really illustrates is the number one thing to think about is that um, markets really do tend to overshoot both on the downside and on the upside. Um, and our job as advisors, we're never going to get it perfect. We're never going to time things perfect for you, but our job is to, at the end of the day, protect as much as we can on the downside and protect and then capture as much as we can on the upside. And then, you know, looking out, if you look out here 10 years, this is off a normalized value. So historically, the average uh, earnings on the SM, or PE ratio on the SP 500 is about 19, 19 and a half times. So sticking with just the averages, you look out to 2031, nine or 10 years away, and it has the market more than doubled from where it is right now. Um, and that's and that's what our job as advisors is, is to help our clients think the long term, not what happens in six to 12 months. Money is truly made in the markets and what happens in five to 10 year periods, not those short six to 12 months, uh, 12 to 18 month periods. And at the end of the day, what drives the market? It's profits. Um, it's looking like they may start a little bit lower in 2023, but by the end of 2023, Raymond James, Mike and his team do see earnings starting to trend higher. And it's our belief as, as theirs as well that any weakness in the markets right now is just a great buying opportunity for those long-term investors. Think about a company like Apple. Why does their stock continue to, why has it went up consistently for the last 25 years? It's because of profits. And a company like them, you know, we're confident they're going to be around. They have more cash on hand than any other company out there. And in five years, we think their stock price is higher because their profits are going to be higher. 
and their earnings are going to be higher. And at the end of the day, like I said, that's what drives the market profits and corporate earnings. And although they may be lower to start 2023, it's our belief that as we look out to 2023 at the end of the year, 2024, earnings are going to start to increase as consumers start to spend more again. Yeah, that's good. I think um, really the only thing to note here is about overall monetary conditions. We know that at the start of this year, the Fed really said, oh, shoot, we should have been hiking interest rates probably a little bit sooner. Or I like to think that that's what they were thinking. Um, and now they're just playing catch up. They've realized that inflation was indeed not transitory. I feel like that was everything that we heard in 2020 and early 2021 was inflation is transitory. It's not going to stick around. It'll work itself out. And then at the start of this year, we've had the fastest interest rate hikes in over 40 years, um, and the Fed's just playing catch up. And as you can see by this chart, I mean, there is, um, we're above, I think they we're at four and a half percent now. We were literally at zero to start the year, and we're all the way up to four and a half percent. Pros and cons of everything. The pros, I think a lot of us are finally seeing interest rates on cash. Uh, we're finally getting decent yield on our money sitting in the bank, or some banks are faster to respond to that to that than others. Um, but on the other hand, this is this is tightening. This is mon this is monetary tightening, which means that there's it's more expensive on the borrowing side. So consumers, everything is more expensive um, from the credit cards, auto loans, home mortgages. We all know about that, and we'll get to that in a minute. Um, but the Fed's plan with this is to tighten monetary conditions to get inflation under control. That's their whole objective is to get inflation under control. Um, and we've started to see creeps of inflation getting under control, but I'll save that for, for a slide here in just a moment. Yeah, I mean, just like, like Carson said, the Fed's been raising rate. Um, at the end of the day, the Fed's number one job right now is to get inflation down from those levels it has been at. And I think there's a common uh, belief out there that every time the Fed has been raising rates, it has thrown us into a recession. Um, are we in a recession? Are we going to be in one? I don't know. That's people way smarter than us to, to make that decision. But if you look here, um, commonly raising rates does lead to a recession, but there was a period here in the mid nineties where that wasn't the case. Um, or sorry, in the mid eighties where that wasn't the case again in the, in the mid early to mid nineties, that wasn't the case. Um, so it doesn't always happen. It, it does happen often, but not always, um, with that. And, the reason, you know, the Fed's been raising rates quickly, when you look out historically, the, the, the previous hiking cycles have last, it's taken about two years and about 18 and a half hikes to get us to similar levels to where we are today. Um, since Just since March, the Fed has hiked the equivalent of 17 times, if you look at those previous numbers, when they do it by just 25 basis points. And that's because, as we know, they've done it by mostly 75 basis point hikes. This last one here was 50 basis point hikes. Um, the speed of that certainly increases the chances that we do end up in a recession, but with that, we think it's a mild one. Wages remain strong. Jobs, uh, for the moment, remain strong also, and because of that, we don't see um, a real sticky uh, recession like we have previously. Um, but the longer the time inflation does hang around, the, you know, the more potential or the worse that it, that it gets. And why does the inflation matter so much? Higher costs. I think we're all feeling that right now. Um, higher costs leads to decreased profits, decreased earnings for companies. And like I mentioned previously, that's the end of the day, that's what drives the stock market. So um, long-term target for the Fed is, I'm sure people know, 2%. Mike and his team, they, they really do believe that just because rates have, because inflation has been so high and they're having to raise rates so quickly that they're, the Fed's going to be a little bit 
more okay with maybe getting closer to that 3% level for the short term, ideally over the next 10 years, trying to get that down to that 2% level. But in the short term, they think they're probably okay with 3%. And that is also why we think probably sometime mid next year is when they're done hiking. Um, and, and I believe the market is even pricing. And I believe Mike said in early 2024, the first rate cuts are coming, which obviously we think would be good for the stock market from, from a long-term perspective as well. Perfect. Um, and, and, and with inflation and with the Fed raising interest rates and whether or not a recession is, is going to come, and I, I'll, I'll distinguish this, a, a recession and a bear market are two completely different things. Recession is two negative quarters of GDP growth, so that's uh, economic related, and bear market is just truly stock market performance down 20% from all-time highs. So uh, you can have a bear market without a recession. Um, they are independent since they're tracked differently. However, oftentimes when there is a recession, there's also a bear market that goes along with it. And just because there's a recession does not mean that the market is going to follow suit and be falling whenever the recession officially hits. Um, this slide, I'll just read it right off the slide, but it says stocks likely bottom and begin a new bull market before the earnings trend turns higher. So it's not necessarily a great timing tool. Nonetheless, with earnings trends just now starting to turn lower, our thought, this is coming from Mike's team, so we have a little more time before the next bull market takes off and is reinforced. Typically, you know, the stock market prices in the future. What is the future value of companies? And a lot of times when the recession is actually here, the next bull market has already started. Um, because again, if the stock market's pricing in six months in the future, if we think a recession, the worst of it's going to be here six months in the future, the bear market will likely bottom before the worst of the recession has actually hit. Um, so we see that you know earnings have tipped a little bit. Uh, uh, company earnings have tipped a little bit. And they're starting to trend lower. And at the end of the day, the stock market could already be on the rise as earning trends are still falling. Um, only because the market could feel that they're going to start bottoming out and they're going to start being in a bull market or in a raising fashion again. Um, that's the that's the whole game of this. I feel like there's been two kind of models out there with what the market's trying to quote price in unquote is one thing at the start of this year, it was interest rates. The market's trying to gather what's the Fed going to do? Uh, how high of interest rates do we need to price into the companies having to borrow uh, and their cost of capital? But also, I think the other factor that hasn't, you know, companies have still been growing this year, but it's also pricing in company earnings. How much are company earnings going to fall? How steady are they going to be? Do you have a lot of companies taking a lot of uh, precautions going into next year, started to lay people off, uh, prep their balance sheets for uh, tighter conditions? So maybe they're more prepared for a recessionary environment. Maybe earnings won't fall as much. Time will tell. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean that the stock market is going to exactly follow suit of that. Yeah, I mean, looking ahead to 2023, talking through all this and where, where is the market going to be? Is it going to be higher? Is it going to be lower? Again, we don't have the crystal ball. Mike and his team don't have the crystal ball. But what they believe is that um, by this time next year, they think we're probably off the lows of the market. Who knows? We could have even seen them already back in October. Um, and so their base case year end 2023 target is 4,300. Where we sit right now as comparison this morning was about 3,800. So you look out that's finishing next year about 12 and a half percent higher than where we are right now. And I think that's a solid base case. I think, you know, none of us believe that like in March of 2020, when the market bottomed, we saw 30%, the market go up 30% from there. I don't think any of us see that. I think it will truly be a slower grind higher um, 
as we come out of this this and all the spending that happened back in 2020, 2021. But um, I think we can get there. How do we get there? I think it's demand destruction from higher inflation. I think we're already seeing that. People are going out, they're spending a little bit less, but this is gonna allow the Fed to be less hawkish, back off raising rates at some point, even lower rates. And that's what's gonna keep this recession brief for us. So again, no crystal ball here, um, but if you're even looking at the bull case scenario, that's the market finishing up about 27, 28% higher that you, next year. That's the kind of the, that'd be a bull case. But I do think it's more of that. A good solid year next year would be market finishing up somewhere in that 10, 12 and a half percent range um, as we climb out of this. Looking at kind of how did, how did we get here? These are just two or three charts explaining the just insane differences and insane uh, disparities that the pandemic brought. So uh, we've, we've all heard the, the CPI numbers, the inflation numbers have just been absolutely off the charts. Um, employment has been a huge driving factor. We had what we thought to be a global pandemic where all demand would be shut down in, in thought for years and years, but actually the exact opposite happened. There was, especially in this bottom right graph, insane, insane demand, which is shown in this green line, which is for orders, which caused a huge amount of stress on inventories, thus the, the awful supply chain problem that we had. Um, and everybody knew about there were something like 50 boats sitting outside the dock in California waiting just to offload cargo to meet the demand. To now, I feel like the last I saw, there might be one or two boats sitting there. So from an inventory perspective, it's starting. And you can see that inventories are now outpacing orders. So there's finally catch up coming into play. Um, and with demand softening and companies still trying to catch up to this demand, we could have the opposite happen, kind of a pendulum effect where inventory starts to rise and orders really start to fall. And it's just an ebb and flow until we can kind of get into somewhat of a normalized fashion. When will that be? Will it be next year, 2024? I'm not sure. That's time will tell. We're, we're all kind of in uncharted territory with coming out of uh, a, a pandemic that shut the entire world economy down. But also the, the unemployment rate and getting people back to work is what's also extremely interesting is there, there aren't as many people just coming back to work after the pandemic. Um, it's, it's no secret that the government gave handed out lots and lots of cash and money and that consumers were extremely, extremely cash rich during the pandemic. So that may be something that people are still spending down their savings if they made, they had really good years during 2020 and 2021 and they're just not ready to go back to work yet. But I think if, if we get to a point where the economy really starts to tighten, I think people, will, I mean, they'll have to go back to work. The, there's no more free cash or free capital out there, especially with interest rates being higher inflation being higher, everything being more expensive. So um, time will tell. Yeah, and one of the questions that we hear a lot or, or see a lot in the news is that people are comparing uh, the period we're in today to the 1970s. And uh, there's a few reasons why we don't think that's the same, why we don't believe that is, is the case. Um, a few different charts here, but kind of this, the biggest thing is that we do think Fed officials have learned from the past. I mean, you look at 2008, everybody thought it was gonna be another depression it ended up being a recession why because the fed officials they they learn over the years and they use the tools that they have at their disposal to control things and and we're able to keep us from dipping into a depression and it just remained a recession you look at this top chart here um one reason average government spending way down from historical averages may not feel like it over the last couple of years but when you look at the averages of things uh the average government spending is down average disposable income way down so 
along with that with the the m2 which is the measure of money supply in checking accounts savings accounts the government's able to see all that and from all the pandemic spending that was laid out there as you can see there's a huge spike in 2020 2021 a lot of that has been spent up with the higher costs that we're seeing out there whereas in the 1970s those money supply levels they stayed pretty elevated through all of the 70s into the 80s um, before they got back to those normal cash savings and then you know, the biggest thing now is that the economy back then was also a good-based economy. Now we're more of a service-based economy. So we rely on each other to get things done. You have to eat more often than maybe you cook at home or other, other things like that. And so because of that, just on a day-to-day -day basis, we're all spending more than what people were in the 70s on, on uh, or spending more on services now than on goods just in our everyday lives, which the way we've built the economy and dependence on each other is something that we have to continue to do. These are um, these are a few kind of the good news. I don't know if you call it good news, but better news. Just the fact that inflation was so bad, and a lot of these charts are kind of depicting um, just how inflation is coming down. Um, inflation from all of these charts is showing signs of peaking and also falling. Um, from oil prices coming down, we know that was awful this past summer. I drive over thirty miles uh, to work and back. And I drive a truck and that was not fun filling up a gas tank whenever prices were, I don't know what they were, five bucks a gallon or so. Um, oils come down. We know that. Uh, there's used vehicles. That was an insane market for a couple of years trying to buy a new and a used car. The month over month change is drastically falling. Um, and I think like, for example, some of the online car retailers, Carvana, I think its market, uh, its market cap is down like 98, 99% from its all-time highs. Um, we've just seen a lot of items like that this year where there were these pandemic-friendly companies that we thought were going to stick and be the future of the world, and it just hasn't been the case. Um, but uh, the ISM manufacturing prices paid is following, and there's the expectation that CPI is going to follow that trend. Um, here... Quits rate overall, we know that it's kind of known as the great resignation over the past year or two. Um, and I think that we're going to, again, as I mentioned earlier, we're going to start to see that um, fall and kind of come back down to earth as monetary um, environment tightens. Uh, there's not as many jobs out there. Uh, it's not as easy to find a job. Uh, I think, and there's not as much free cash out there. We'll really start to see these gauges um, fall. And I think with, with wages going forward, we've even heard it said directly from the Fed, from Powell himself. Um, he didn't say he wants to kill jobs, but that's basically what he said. He's essentially said that people need to lose their jobs and the economy needs to suffer in order to get inflation under control. Um, and I think that's not a very encouraging thing to hear. Um, but from his perspective, I guess he's not sugarcoating it. He's just saying that the economy has to pull back and has to cool off and that thus that means people lose their jobs and there's not as many job openings and unemployment is going to start to tick up. So that's, that's what we're keeping track of. Um, the interesting thing I mentioned this earlier is the, the 25 to 24 year olds, what's, when are they going to get back to working at levels when they were working before the pandemic? Um, this is just a hunch of mine, but I think social media has brought an interesting factor into the job market world. Um, I don't know what the exact stats are, so I don't want to say them, but there's, it's it's not easy to make money on social media, but it's becoming a lot more prevalent to make money via social media channels. And I think that 
more and more people, if they have a following on a social media platform, they can start getting paid for the amount of followers that they have. And I think that's going to continue being a bigger factor in normal, ordinary jobs as these people, uh, they just make content online. It's it's the world of content creation. Um, and if you can create content, people like it, people follow you for it, you can get paid for it. Um, with job openings, like I was mentioning, there is still 1.7 job openings for every single person that is unemployed. We start to see that fall. Um, it's coming down some. It was almost double, where for every person unemployed, two jobs were open. Um, it started to fall as companies have gotten a little bit tighter with interest rates going up, and uh, unemployment has ever so slightly started to take up. Um, and this is what Powell um, and wants to see in order to bring inflation down is unemployment start to pick up, um, job openings come down and just a, honestly not as good of a job environment. They, they kind of want to see a recession come into the United States. Um, but again, it doesn't necessarily mean the stock market is going to just have the bottom fall out of it. Um, that could in essence be priced in and the market could see that as good news. And I think we've seen that where um, we've seen some odd days where there's been awful news come out and the market pops just because the market's trying to look forward to the future. And if they see data that agrees with what the Fed's trying to do, then they're like, okay, yes, it's working. The Fed is wanting the economy to worsen. It's working. That means the pain is getting closer and closer to being over. Um, so many odd thoughts going on um, that make the market move. That's why if you think the market's going to do one thing, there's a good chance it could very well do the opposite. Um, it's, it's, it's extremely difficult to predict. Yeah, I mean, just, and just looking ahead of why we think the Fed can begin to to moderate on raising rates, even stop raising rates, is that you look at a couple of the leading indicators. So this chart on the right hand side here is uh, is is mortgage rates where they've been. So when you start raising rates, that's typically felt in the housing market about six to nine months following the tightening cycle. What you look at it now, it started in March, so we're right in line with those with those dates, and we're already seeing this in the housing market. I mean, the uh, the the blue line here is mortgage applications you can see that they've just really fallen off um in the last few months here um and for that reason along with that in housing that was a big issue in 2008 was housing that's what really threw us into the big recession um there's really not a big issue like that out there that has us scared or a, a black swan that we're concerned about and so without a major issue out there another reason we think if we do fall into a recession it's a mild one um sticking with that i mean We've read some articles over the past few months is that has, with all the cash that consumers had built up, the question really is, have consumers ever been in a better position if we do enter a recession, having all that cash on hand? Um, and so maybe they spent through some of that, but we do believe that because of that, it is, again, a mild recession. Um, and then you look at, I mean, just raising rates on, on these spreads here. Um, so it takes 12 to 18 months for the full impact of higher rates to be felt. So again, started in March, we're going to be feeling that in early March next year. Um, it has us on track. And so a lot of these indicators that we look at, they're right in line with where a recession falls. And for those reasons, we think we're well prepared for this one if we do fall into it. And again, no big issues out there that has us concerned uh, like there was in 2008. Yeah, I'll, I'll add on to this, Miles. I think I saw a couple of stats over the past couple of days just about housing in general. I think mortgage applications reached maybe a 25-year low 
um, for new mortgage applications, just because the cost of borrowing has just skyrocketed. And with home prices being so expensive that in the top right corner, it's, you know, you look at a mortgage payment a year ago on a $400,000 house and it's 1700 versus today, it's over 2700 That's an extra $1,000 a month, 58% increase on top of all the other goods and items that we buy that are inflated in their price. Yeah, uh, also, also a huge reason we've seen the increase in rents is because people are saying, hey, you know, I don't want to spend an extra thousand dollars from what I could have bought a house last year. So I'm just going to rent for another year, maybe two years, and uh, we'll see where rates are at then. Hopefully they're lower and we'll buy a house at that point. Right. And uh, uh, the other stat I think I saw was there, the average median home price um, in the United States has fallen for the fifth straight month. And it's now 10% already off of all-time highs. I think a lot of us have seen, if you tried to sell a house or buy a house, um, we might be in a little bit of a bubble here in Nashville, but um, the peak was earlier this year, the spring slash summer, um, and then the average has just been falling consistently. Um, and it's just the cost of borrowing has made it, has held the gate up so high. Um, just like Miles was saying, with it, the consumer being well-prepared for this recession, well-prepared as possible. Um, on the left, we're looking at uh, household uh, net worth, um, and it's it's declined slightly this year. Um, the year-over-year -year growth has, of course, plummeted in this dotted blue line. You can see that. But the household net worth has, has soared to an all-time high, especially with the amount of equity in homes. Um, there's an insane amount of equity in consumers' homes. And on the right side, the percentage, their debt service ratio is still extremely low. You can see how low it is here compared to the financial crisis. Um, this, the overall percentage is extremely affordable and it was extremely low at the bottom of the pandemic when interest rates were uh, near their bottom. It's come up some, but it's still a manageable amount, especially you look back historically. It's lower than it's been in the past 40 years nearly to service all the debt. Now, a lot of the debt people are servicing is on lower interest rates. And if people continue to service this debt, as fed, as, uh, especially on variable debt. So for example, credit cards, that's variable. It's based off a of prime rate. So each and every month, your interest rate can potentially be going up. This is going to sneak up. But again, it's just reiterating the fact that consumers are um, more prepared and they're not um, as quite unprepared as you can tell from the financial crisis when their debt service ratio was a lot higher. Yeah, and just to kind of come back to a similar chart that we saw earlier on here, um, I think it's important for long-term investors to just not get scared out of the market at this point. You look back every other re recession or bear market that we've been in, the worst possible thing that you could have done was sold right in the middle of that. I mean, five, 10 years after that, the market's consistently historically been much higher than it is uh, during those markets when people fall at the bottom. Um, we think at this point, risk reward, it does favor um, a bull market. Could there be a little bit more downside? Certainly. But again, we're looking at as a long-term investor and, and the viewpoint that we try to help our clients take, you look out 10 years from now, um, based on averages, again, the market's about double from where it is right now. In the short term, certainly going to be some choppiness and, like I said, potential downside. But from a long-term investor uh, perspective, certainly important just to stay invested. And for those clients who are sitting on cash or have been sitting in a little more conservative, again, never going to time it perfectly, but maybe now could be time to start chipping away and take a little more risk inside of those portfolios. Yeah. Right. Here's just a, a few interesting stats. Uh, since 1980, the compounded total return was over 9%, actually 9.17%, which is a 3,880% gain, which if you took 100,000, that would be 
$4 million today. Now that's 40 something years that's investing in just to index. So take that with a grain of salt, but it just gives a perspective of long-term investing. Um, if, if you're on the buy side, if you're a long-term investor, the absolute best thing you can do, or the best thing for your long-term performance of your money is when the market goes down. If you can be buying at the bottoms and when the news is the absolute worst and when it feels the worst to be buying, that is when it is usually the best to be buying only because your long-term upward potential continues to rise and rise and rise as the market continues to fall. Um, and and here's, here's an exercise that, that uh, Mike ran through uh, whenever we were in person a couple of weeks ago. He said, let's say, let's assume you invested 10 grand on January 1st, 1980, so a long time ago. And then another 10 grand just before the flash crash in 87. So at the peak, at the worst possible time to think back then, another 10 grand at the peak of the dot-com bubble burst, and then another 10 grand just before the financial crisis in 2008. And then again, just before the COVID peak, before it dropped 34% in 33 days or something like that. So that overall 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 grand I was invested would still be worth over $600,000 today. So over a thousand percent rate of return, even if you invested only 10 grand on the absolute worst possible days. And in this chart that you see, 15 of the 20 best days are within two weeks of the worst days that the market has. I remember for me and Miles, I think it was, Miles, you may remember the date, but it was March 15th or 16th. Uh, of 2020, and we had been prepping and studying for our CFP exams. I took mine on a Monday, and Miles took his on a Tuesday. And I took the exam, found out that I passed, went back to my truck, turned my phone on, and it was the day that the market fell like 12% in a single day. And I was like, oh, great, just passed my CFP exam. Here we go. And then Miles goes, he goes and takes it the next day. I think they closed down the testing facility on Wednesday for COVID. So we barely snuck in that CFP exam. Um, but even, even looking back at that, that it, the news around that just felt absolutely gut-wrenching. It felt so bad to even, you didn't even want to think about investing in the market because at that point, all the news was, if the market's down 34%, this is the first global pandemic that the world has ever seen. There's no way I'm possibly going to touch money. We could see the market fall 70%. Um, the financial crisis uh, peak to trough was down about 50%. Um, and Looking back, no one could have predicted that the market would double from its uh, pandemic lows in just uh, under two years. I mean, it's unheard of. But again, even for us, we know all the facts. We know the same facts that you do. And it still is hard just taking the emotion completely out of it and just investing money when it feels the worst, when the headlines are the worst, because you're setting yourself up um, for long-term success. Um, let's see. I think this may be our last slide. Yeah, that's our last slide. Um, I think all in all, again, it's 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 tough. Uh, there's there's one there's two sides of the equation here. You have long term investors. And I'll stop sharing my screen. Um, you have long term investors, and if your time horizon is 10, 20, 30 years, if the market falls, what a great time for you to be investing cash. But on the other hand of that. What if you don't have a long-term time horizon? What if your time horizon is now? What if you're retired and you need to pull income? And I think that's where it comes with either, you know, if you're a client of ours, the way we're managing money, we don't have 100% of your funds invested just into the stock market. Because um, I think Warren Buffett's number one rule of investing is don't lose money in the stock market. Rule number two is don't forget rule number one. And you do that by only selling things when they're up, when you have positive returns. So if we can afford to have enough 
money in safer investments like fixed income and cash to fund your retirement so we can wait out for equities to be back on the rise. That's how you can uh, still be invested in the stock market, but have enough money kind of on the sidelines or in fixed income and funds um, to be able to feed into your income that you need while waiting for the stock market to recover. But uh, Miles, would you add anything to that? Yeah, I would just say anybody has any questions, more than happy to, to take some of those right now as well. But just to kind of piggyback off Carson there, I think, uh, yeah, it's just super important right now to, to know what types of companies you own, have the proper asset allocation in place so that you're not fully exposed to the tech heavy stocks or the sure. growth heavy stocks when uh, those value entered blue chip dividend paying companies have, have outperformed by so much in a year like this year. So um, those are all tweaks that we make for our clients throughout the year. And then, like Carson said, just, you know, cash is kind of king right now. If you know you have big expenses coming up in the next six or 12 months, or you got a big tax bill coming up, you can never go wrong just having that money in cash because you know it's safe, liquid. And that's another another tool we utilize with all of our clients is having money set aside for those emergency, those emergency funds, six to 12 months of expenses, taxes, and then also any big expenses they know come, they have come up in the next year. So just really, again, knowing what you own and, and having your money in the proper bucket. Yeah, that's right. Miles, I don't see any questions, but uh, so that's it. We appreciate you joining us. Uh, this was, again, this was a recap from Mike Gibbs from his seminar he gave at a lunch a couple of weeks ago. Uh, we'll have this posted out online here within a week or so, just in case it wants to be shared or want to come back and reference anything we talk about. But thanks for joining us. Uh, Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. Yep. Happy holidays, everybody. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Retire While You Work podcast. I'm Miles Zuger, and I hope you'll continue to join us as we discuss creative ways to manage your time and money. Any opinions are those of myself and not necessarily those of Raymond James. Expressions of opinion are as of this date and are subject to change without notice. The information contained in these podcasts do not purport to be a complete description of the securities market or developments referred to in this material. The information has been obtained from sources considered to be reliable, but we do not guarantee that the foregoing material is accurate or complete. Every investor situation is unique and you should consider your investment goals, risk tolerance, and time horizon before making any investment. Prior to making an investment decision, please consult with your financial advisor about your individual situation. Any hypothetical examples are for illustration purposes only. Actual investor results will vary. Raymond James does not provide legal or tax services. Please discuss these matters with the appropriate professional.